Spectrum Business works with small businesses nationwide, so we know that running your own business means doing it all. Marketing, sales, inventory, customer service, and more. Spectrum One for Business helps you keep it all connected for just $49.99 a month. Get fast, reliable internet, advanced Wi-Fi with security shield, and a free mobile line for one low price. Stay connected and do it all with Spectrum One for Business. Only $49.99 a month. Go to spectrum.com slash business to learn more. Restrictions apply. Services not available in all areas. Hey there, I'm Brad. I'm about to win the Tuesday Night Bowling League Championship. I'm also a highway worker for the Ohio Department of Transportation. When you move over and slow down, you're making sure I can bowl the winning strike with my buddies. Remember, they're not just roadside workers. Thank you for moving over and slowing down. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show, live on Sirius XM Channel 111 every weekday at noon east. Megan Kelly, welcome to the Megan Kelly Show. My first guest is the man everyone wants to hear from today, former Navy SEAL Rob O'Neill, the man who shot and killed Osama bin Laden. He is here with his first reaction to the slew of young Americans suddenly declaring themselves apparently big fans of the evil terrorist behind the September 11th terror attacks. Rob's team says they have been inundated with interview requests. Since this story made headlines around the world Wednesday after journalist Yashar Ali first broke it, Rob is here with our audience first, which we really appreciate. My in depth interview with Rob, way back in episode 109 on this show, we ran it over the Memorial Day weekend in 2021 on the secret operation to take out bin Laden, is my favorite interview ever. And that's saying something. I've been at this for a long, long time. I recommend it to all of you and to your kids if you want to bring them up to speed on the kinds of things that our American heroes do. Before we bring on Rob, though, a refresher, a little refresher on 9-11, because while most of you do not need it, this show is heard on multiple platforms by millions of people. And there is a very real possibility that one of these TikTok influencers will actually hear it and maybe learn something. Tuesday, September 11th, 2001, was a beautiful sunny morning in New York when at 7.59 a.m., American Airlines Flight 11 took off from Boston's Logan Airport bound for Los Angeles. On board, 11 crew, 81 passengers, including five hijackers. Shortly after the hijackers took control, terrorist Mohammed Atta was heard by air traffic control reassuring the frightened passengers that if they stayed quiet, they'd be okay, that they were, quote, returning to the airport. In fact, within 20 minutes, they would all be dead. When Flight 11, soaring over the Manhattan skyline, slammed into floors 93 to 99 of the World Trade Center's North Tower. Business class, and um, I think there's mates that we can't breathe. I, I don't know. I think we're getting hijacked. Something, somebody hit uh, the World Trade Center or the... It's a trade center. The World trade trade center. center. There's a fire on the upper floors. This, Justin, you are looking at a, obviously a very disturbing live shot there. That is the World Trade Center, and we have unconfirmed reports this morning. That a plane has crashed into the World Trade Center. We don't know anything more than that. We don't know if it was a commercial aircraft. We have no idea. Still in the air at that time, United Flight 175. 75. 
also heading from Boston to L.A., carrying nine crew and 56 passengers, including five hijackers, heading toward the South Tower. Among others on board, the youngest victim of the terror attacks that day. Her name was Christine Lee Hansen. She was two years old. Look at her. She would be 24 today. She was flying with her parents to visit Disneyland. Christine was one of eight children who died in the attacks. Brian Sweeney was another passenger. Brian called his wife, Julie, from the plane with a final message of goodbye. On an airplane that's been hijacked, and things will go well, I'm going to do this. I just want you to know I absolutely love you. I want you to do good, so have a good time. Uh, same to my parents and everybody. And I just totally love you, and uh, I'll see you in the future. Bye, babe. I'll call you. At 9.03 a.m., Flight 175 with Brian and little Christine on board flew into floors 77 to 85 of the South Tower of the World Trade Center, then a symbol of American financial savvy and a beacon of American architectural pride. Imagine what Christine's parents must have been feeling in those final moments. I'm sure they were holding their little girl and they knew. They knew what she did not, that she was about to die. Inside the towers, it was sheer panic. Emergency services became overwhelmed with 911 calls. One was from 32-year-old Melissa Doy, who was trapped in the South Tower. Melissa knew that she was dying. This is for you, new Bin Laden fans. Take a listen to the desperation in Melissa's voice. Breathe. Okay, stay calm with me, okay? I understand. I think there is fire because it's very hot. Okay. It, it's very hot everywhere on the floor. Okay. I know you don't see it, and I know, but we, I'm going to document, I'm documenting what you say, okay? And it's very hot. I see no fire, but you see smoke, right? It's very hot. I see, I don't. I'm burning up. Can you, can you? I already did that. Can I with you, please? Yes, ma'am. I am going to say It took three years for Melissa's remains to be found. During that 911 call, Melissa asked the operator if she could patch her through to her mother so she could say goodbye. The lines were so busy, the operator could not do it. Think about that for a minute. Her last wish on earth was to hear her mom's voice right before her murder. At the hands of the man you're now cheering over on TikTok. You heard Melissa talk about the intense heat and smoke. That's what caused some 200 innocent Americans to jump to their deaths that day. This is a picture of a man who it's believed had to make that choice. He's never been identified. The photo was widely criticized after it was published. Many thought it was too disturbing. And it is. 
For years at Fox News, we weren't allowed to show that. But it's images like these that help paint the picture of what those victims endured. The decisions they were forced to make one beautiful Tuesday morning in America. That's how it started before it turned to carnage. Which person to call? How to say goodbye? Whether to jump or be burned alive in temperatures reaching 1,800 degrees Fahrenheit. And now we have a generation that's starting to think, maybe they deserved it. That the terrorist behind this act, he had some good points. You should really read up on them. At 9.37 a.m., American Airlines Flight 77, heading from D.C. to L.A. with six crew and 58 passengers, including five hijackers on board, slammed into the Pentagon. In addition to those on board, another 125 were killed on the ground. By 9.45 a.m., the FAA ordered all civil aircraft to land. All air traffic in America was grounded. The country was paralyzed. And then there was United Flight 93. Just the two words, Flight 93, have come to symbolize the American spirit of courageous revolt in the face of evil. Headed from Newark to San Francisco, you see, all of these planes were gassed up for cross-country flights. The terrorists wanted the biggest bombs possible. It carried seven crew and 37 passengers, including the four hijackers. This plane was brought down over a field in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. The passengers, knowing they were likely about to die, decided to storm the cockpit, a moment captured by a phone call in which passenger Todd Beamer famously told the others, let's roll. All on board were killed. The terrorists' target in Washington, D.C., believed to be the U.S. Capitol, was spared thanks to the bravery of those passengers. At 9.59 and 10.28 a.m., respectively, the south and north towers of the World Trade Center came crashing down. It was a moment those of us who lived through it will never forget. New York lost 441 first responders in that moment. Cops and firefighters who were inside the towers, firemen climbing the 110 stairs into the danger, carrying some 100 pounds of gear on them, without a care for their own safety, all dead in an instant, our best and bravest. Their murderer now being cheered on over on TikTok. As the buildings crumbled before our eyes, Americans nationwide cried together, we mourned together, we held together. In the face of sheer soul-shattering terror, nearly 3,000 people were murdered that day. Our fellow Americans, another 6,000 injured. To this day, 40% of the victims remain unidentified, not a fragment left of them to return to their loved ones. It would take nearly 10 years for American intelligence to find the man behind this, Osama bin Laden. The same man now being lionized by these clueless Gen Z know-nothings. We learned the news of bin Laden's death on the night of May 2nd, 2011. And when we heard it, Americans across the country cheered. Democrats, Republicans, old, young, didn't matter. Gathering in front of the White House chanting, USA, USA. At Ground Zero, they said the Pledge of Allegiance. We, we feel really, really vindicated that we finally got him. 
This is our generation's uh, VE, VJ Day. This is our generation's Victory and Enduring Freedom Day. That's what today is. I'm proud of our military and proud of our presidents, Bush and Obama. You kill innocent American people, you're going to pay the price. It's time to celebrate. Uh, it's the epitome of gratification. In the years after 9-11, there were a few people who said America got what it deserved. Former University of Colorado Boulder, Professor Ward Churchill comes to mind. He wrote an essay calling the hijackers courageous and gallant. He called some of the victims, quote, little Eichmanns, comparing them to a Nazi war criminal, a claim on which I once got the chance to challenge Professor Churchill. What specifically you said about the financial workers who were in the World Trade Center, because when I read your words written on the day of the attack, I mean, while the bodies were still smoldering, it sounded like you had a disdain. You sound like not only do you blame them, but that you dislike them. What I'm saying is for effect. In essence, the message is, this is what it feels like to be treated this way. I believe the United States ought to be bombed. I think the United States, by its own rules, is subject to being bombed. You can't answer the question. Yes. Yeah, I th have answered the question. I yes think or the no. United States yes or no. should comply with law. To be bombed? If it does not comply with law, it opens itself up to it. Ward Churchill was widely condemned over his remarks. At the time, he was an outlier with his radical views. But as we know, it's become all too familiar now. Blame America for everything. Still, there is something particularly sick with these new videos. These young people admit all it took was a quick read of bin Laden's letter to reshape their entire worldview. Everyone should read it. If you haven't read it yet, read it. However, be forewarned that this has left me very disillusioned and I feel the same exact way I felt when I was deconstructing Christianity. I, I will never look at life the same. I will never look at this country the same. I will never, I, please read it. And if you have read it, let me know if you are also going through an existential crisis in this very moment, because in the last 20 minutes, my entire viewpoint on the entire life I have believed and I have lived has changed. I need you to stop what you're doing and go read A Letter to America. It is literally the craziest thing I've read in a while. And while I can't say that I'm that surprised, I am pretty shocked. In reading the letter, I could only think of this tweet that I saw the other day. Under settler colonialism, any kind of resistance is branded as terrorist because the only acceptable violence is violence by the occupier. So mind-fucking to me that terrorism has been sold as this idea to the American people and honestly just so many Western inhabitants within certain nations that 
this group of people, this random group of people just suddenly wakes up one day and just fucking hates you, just wants you dead, wants you gone. And this is all because they believe that they're better than us. Like that is the root of terrorism. In this letter, it becomes apparent to me that the actions of 9-11 and those acts committed against the USA and its people were all just the buildup of our government failing other nations. This letter was insanely eye-opening. I really urge everybody to Google and read it because I thought that I had quite a lot of media literacy, but this takes it to a whole nother fucking level where I was just like, holy shit, like propaganda is genuinely so deeply embedded into our fucking DNA. The way this letter is going viral right now is giving me the greatest sense of relief. If you're Muslim and you've lived in the US since 9-11, you know more truth than the typical citizen. Now it's all coming to light because of Palestine. How can they be so weak, so uninformed, so pathetic, so hateful toward our own country? How dare they think of those 3,000 dead Americans and conclude bin Laden had a point? In the two military campaigns that followed 9-11, nearly 7,000 U.S. military personnel were killed. Millions more were deployed to fight abroad so that these kids now cheering bin Laden could be safe at home in their cradles. Then they grew up and instead of gratitude for the freedom so many fought to ensure, they're siding with the terrorists. Robert O'Neill is a U.S. Navy SEAL combat veteran. He's also the host of the podcast, The Operator. That's the name of his 2017 book as well, which we highly recommend buying and reading. Rob, thank you for being here today. Thank you for your service. And it's an honor to have you on this day of all days. Hey there, I'm Brad. I'm about to win the Tuesday Night Bowling League Championship. I'm also a highway worker for the Ohio Department of Transportation. When you move over and slow down, you're making sure I can bowl the winning strike with my buddies. Remember, they're not just roadside workers. Thank you for moving over and slowing down. I can't believe my eyes and ears. I can't believe my eyes and ears. What's your reaction to all of this? Well, thank you, first of all, for having me, Megan. I appreciate it. Uh, there's a lot of thoughts in there. I mean, they obviously got scrambled just now listening again to the voices of the people saying goodbye to their loved ones when the only thing that mattered to them was love for their family and their their tight circle that they have. And none of the other stuff mattered anymore because it's all about to end. The realization that it's all over, everything that you thought mattered no longer matters. Your credit card debt doesn't matter. The mortgage doesn't matter. It just matters that someone knows, that your mom knows that you love her, that you can hear her voice and things like that. And then um, I I think about how, a lot of people the age of the TikTokers, they, they're they acting surprised that they just read this letter and they're almost acting insulted like nobody showed me this. It's That's proof right there that you are not learning history, a recent history. Not, not um, 2001 is not that long ago. That means you, they're not teaching you history. They're doing what they can to erase history because – so many people have been taught to hate their history and that we're the oppressors. And they're, well, we just discovered something by bin Laden and wow, and they love existential existence and all the things like that. And that it's the uh, occupiers that are wrong because they saw how they were responding to the Palestinian-Israel uh, conflict. And uh, they knew they could use the exact same thing with the exact same victimhood argument. And and they the, a lot of these people, not only were they not raised to learn history uh, and um, hopefully not repeat it, they're taught the entire time they're victims. The way that the that Mao Zedong did it in China by dividing by class. They're dividing by race. And that's all they want to do. And they say the, the bad ones are, are the only ones who aren't on the big LTGBQ, whatever it is, flag. 
Uh, they're learning victimhood. They're learning that they're, they're trying to be taught through propaganda on TikTok that Bin Laden was um, was a victim himself. And so, and so are these uh, conquered lands that they call them where we have our bases and that American taxpayers by paying taxes uh, by paying taxes are also legit military targets because that's the only thing we understand is that and i mean this is precisely the reason that i've said we they should before the pledge of allegiance in public schools in this country that are funded by federal taxpayers they should be forced to watch 10 minutes of 9-11 hopefully not forced because that sounds authoritarian but the way that they're pumping this propaganda into them, that's forced right there and these people have no idea what they're talking about they have no idea they they look at bin laden as just this palestine sympathizer who was trying to stand up for the little guy, Rob. I mean, that's what these videos espouse. Like, oh, poor bin Laden. He was a champion of the brown skin oppressed Palestinians. What bullshit. If you go on, yes. even the letter that they're now touting, if they would keep reading, they'd get to the part where he's very critical of, of the way Americans treat their women as equal citizens and allow mm -hmm. them to wear what they want and work and be in the public service industry. He was really pissed off about those things. They think, of, you know, if only we hadn't supported Israel, this wouldn't have happened to us. If we hadn't been, what did they say, the the settler colonializers, that, you know, this wouldn't have happened. We brought it upon ourselves. They say it right there. 9-11 is now clear. All the buildup of our own government failing others. The propaganda we've been fed, she means about how bad bin Laden was. It's now in our DNA, and now she sees the truth. Yeah, that's that's unbelievable, too. And if you do a quick rewind, you can find maybe some of these videos, the first people to cheer for all the dead Americans in lower Manhattan and Pennsylvania and in Washington, D.C., the first people cheering were Palestinians. And uh, that, I mean, that that tells you something right there with their mindset towards us. It's not like uh, the day before they were on our team or anything like that. They also what bin Laden mentions in the letter is uh, he sort of says, you know, we all kind of just want to live in peace and then pretty much in in. Uh, parentheses under Sharia law that you need to be required right. that and not just not just that his version of Wahhabist Sunni Islam there are videos too of of uh, ISIS rolling through Syria pulling over before anyone really knew they were there pulling over truck drivers and they got them out and said you need to recite this prayer and they would recite the prayer but it wasn't exactly the way they wanted uh, they were executed right away and you talk about the uh, I mean the, the Sharia law, you can have up to four wives. I don't think a lot of progressive women in this country would like that. You're not allowed to work. You're certainly not allowed to vote. In a lot of places under strict Sharia, you're not allowed to leave the house. That doesn't sound like something that women should be cheering for. And and it's just, it just, it, it, it goes to show you how up is down, down is up. And I don't think any of this is by accident. If you go back even to the early 70s, guys like John Kerry were, were misquoting Genghis Khan, as he said it, talking about atrocities that Americans have committed in Vietnam. And then that's right when, um, you know, it's before I was born, right when Joe Biden's getting into office, a lot of the same names in there with the same rhetoric, with the same plans to bring chaos to this country. A lot of reasons, you know, I don't want to get into that right now, but a lot of it's for their personal power. But we're still hearing from John Kerry. He's the climate guru or whatever the hell he is. And, and uh, they're still there. Same people, same names. America bad. And, uh, you know, do as I say, not as I do. Well, I fly to Davos in my private jet to eat steak. I want you to eat bugs and walk everywhere. Mm hmm. It's a good point about Sharia law. I, th this generation was still like, 10, 11, when we were dealing with like the overwhelming reports, not the, not just the ongoing terrorism that they were trying to unleash in America, um, but the reports about what they did to women under Sharia law and how they wanted to bring it here. And how, I mean, not from, from like getting killed, if you draw the prophet Muhammad, to getting these so-called honor killings um, for women who 
decided to look more Western just because mm -hmm. they were in a family of radical Islamists and they decided to show a knee or wear a skirt or God forbid stray on their partner in a relationship. It's considered honorable to kill them. You're allowed to do it. And let's just say it genital mutilation. They mutilate yeah. the genitals of their young girls coming of age so that they can never achieve sexual gratification. Don't yeah. believe me. Just ask Ayan Hirsi Ali who was born into a group that effectively was the, the mother Muslim Brotherhood and Islamists did that to her. She's got a few things to say about it. Uh, so this is what they're cheering, right? This is the guy, this poor guy, he's just a champion of the underdog, Rob. You know, their eyes have been opened. Yeah, yeah, that, that's unbelievable. They think their eyes are open. I mean, th they're very, very uh, uh, astute on the Internet. So I recommend that they go look at videos and uh, just find out the difference between getting stoned here and getting stoned in Pakistan. Not very cool. And that's simply because maybe they saw a woman's ankle. And that's when they put, you know, bury them in a hole, keep their head out. And, and the men of the town throw rocks at their head until they kill them. And that's normal. There's been honor killings here in the United States because uh, the, the dishonor that a, a young girl for not dating someone in their strict sect of Islam uh, is, you know, is, is not doing and the genital, the genital mutilation. They're making sure women cannot enjoy sex because they're not supposed to. They are there simply to pump out babies, period. That's it. And uh, Sharia, I mean, I've seen it. It's not a it's not a pretty sight. And it seems like everywhere the, the radicals go, they never want to assimilate with the society. They want to bring it to them and they're going to conquer the world. We've had people like uh, Muammar Gaddafi from Libya who was killed in the, the Arab Spring say that we are going to we, meaning the Muslim world, are going to conquer the West and we won't need to fire a shot because they know that they're, they're going to move to places they're going to infiltrate. And they know that we're so weak as a society because of political correctness. Like, look at the, the attacks on October 7th. Pretty soon, the White House is saying, well, we got to watch out for Islamophobia. I mean, we should also watch out for a little bit of the, the anti-Israel, anti-Semitic stuff where there are people over there that uh, were so desensitized because of movies and video games in Hollywood. You got to realize these people crossed the border. It wasn't just Hamas. It was Palestine, innocent Palestinian civilians crossing through and performing what would be your worst nightmare stuff i can't even think about because of uh just the stuff that i've already seen i can't i've seen stuff nothing close to this and these people lived it because of that's a version of the sharia law and it's you'll notice with the the ceasefire it's hamas isn't calling it for a ceasefire because they love death we have uh, yeah. Colombia here is is calling for ceasefire or a pause what do you think's going to happen when they have a ceasefire they're going to rebuild it's it's all it's like when we were bombing uh uh, Germany to get to the, the Nazis and wipe them out. They, we were going to take a ceasefire. We never said, well, what about all the good things that Hitler, the, those great ideas that maybe he had? Stuff like that. It doesn't happen that way. When you wipe someone out, you need to wipe them off, out. And we've just become soft because we've had it so good. And they, they don't even, these students don't realize living in a country this great is the reason they have it so good to say ridiculous stuff like this being taught by teachers, professors who don't really know anything either. Yeah. I, I think about you. I think about you. We, we've talked about it. I mentioned the episode 109 to go back and listen to the whole thing, which you absolutely should. I, I consider it like required listening. The next time you Thank take you. a two hour trip, you put it on in your car and you just listen to it. It was amazing, not because of me, but because of Rob O'Neill. And uh, you'll get chills. You'll get chills many, many times. You'll probably cry. You'll want to stand on your feet and cheer. It's just it had all the elements of it. But I think about you. I think about you at that at that compound in Abbottabad, risking your life. All the guys around you risking their lives put a bullet between that man's eyes. Mm -hmm. And as I said in the intro, these kids are in their cradles back at home safe because of you.
And now they come out and cheer for him. Now they read his words in a two-page letter on TikTok and say, yeah. my whole worldview is, is, has changed. It's all America's fault. I mean, the insult to you and your guys. It, well, the human aspect, the humanity of the people, the sacrifices, the people who went on that mission made from the Navy SEALs on the, to the explosive ordnance guys, obviously the pilots. But think about the air crew, uh, the guys on the on the helicopters, making sure they could fly, making sure the doors could open. Each one of us had families that would miss us. Each one of us would be just as dead if we got hit with a missile. And we all said goodbye to our kids, looking them in the eyes. You know, this is going to be it. This is the last time I see you. And you're seven years old. But we're going to do it. Think about the woman who found bin Laden. She gave a life to find him no husband no kids nothing like that she did everything seven days a week pretty much 20 hours a day because she knew what an asshole this guy was and how bad we needed to catch him simply to kill him get rid of the uh the, the what he was running to to try to hurt everybody but most importantly to prove that we could to prove that we have patriots in this country and that's what i think we're we're losing right now i mean we have the state of California, turning California into even a more communist state just because the biggest communist in the world is coming here and they're kissing his ass. And they're, they're, you th I mean, they're, they're making, yeah, we'll make deals with climate change, blah, 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 buy our stuff. That's all they're doing. And uh, they see the weakness, they see what they've done. This was the plan the entire time. And this is, we're sooner than I thought though, we are seeing the effects of the infiltration of actual fascists who were, by the way, very good at admit nothing, deny everything, make counter accusations about that they're blaming other people for the stuff that they're doing. It's all happening at once. I'm I'm surprised about the Bin Laden thing, but hey, he played the victim card. Now the victims are just jumping in the big victim boat with him. Yeah, well, they're loving it. They're like, oh, look at all my, the good company that I have in here. To the point you were making about the Palestinians, I just saw the first, what I think is the first poll. Um, it, it was done by the Arab World for Research and Development. So it doesn't seem like this would be a group that would be anti-Palestinian Palestinian, or in any way trying to skew it in a way that would make Arabs look unfairly bad. Um, here's what they said. How much do you support the military operation? That's what they call it. Carried out by the Palestinian resistance. Again, that's what they call it. Led by Hamas on October 7th. So obviously this is a pro-Palestine group. You know what they said? 75% support it. 75% yep. of the Palestinians, those, those peaceful Palestinians, support mm -hmm. the, quote, military operation that was unleashed on Israel on October 7th. Uh, how do you view the role of Hamas? 76 percent positive, positively, 76 percent there. They are pro Hamas there. Yes, there's some small contingent that does it. That's not. But the overwhelming majority in Palestine right now is like right on. Israel deserved it. And by the way, same group, 97.6 percent hate America. Very negative mm -hmm. views oh, yeah, of they America. This is who they're in lot with. Yeah, they're, I mean, and think about this. Israel's the little Satan. They're just over there. They're the only democracy in that part of the world that can be attacked easily because they're there. We're the great Satan over here. And don't think they've forgotten about us because they've told us, they've told me to my face, uh, you have the clocks, but we have the time. And I like to keep it simple. I like to try to master the basics. If you can get good at the easy stuff, the big stuff should follow. There are three very... I think very good points to bring up here. Here's how you can tell who the good guys and the bad guys are. If, if Hamas threw their weapons into the Mediterranean sea right now, there would be peace. If Israel did, there would be genocide. You think they would stop it where they stop? No, they wouldn't. They wouldn't at all. That's proof right there. Ask these people, who would you rather be captured by the Israeli defense force or Hamas? That should tell you right there mm -hmm. who the bad guys are. And th this is from a personal um, 
just a personal experience. When I was the first guy into Osama bin Laden's bedroom, uh, I shot bin Laden three times. His two-year-old son right, was right there, as was his wife, Amal. I did put my hands on his young son because I realized as a father, this poor kid has nothing to do with this. And I moved him out of the way because I didn't want him to be in danger. And I moved the wife. As I was doing that for their protection, put Hamas in my shoes, they're thinking about raping her. And they did. That's not what the good guys do. That is what the savages do. That's what they did. And that's whose side these college kids are trying to be a part of. Mm -hmm. And we talked about this the other day, the barbarity of it. It wasn't even in this warped view of like, well, they deserved it. They, you know, they, they, no one's a civilian in, in Israel. This is what we've been hearing. Uh, they, they took a woman, they raped her repeatedly, several men. When she died, after they shot her in the head, they continued raping her. They continued mm -hmm. raping her dead body. They cut off her breast and play with it like a ball. My apologies to the audience for such a casual yeah. reference of such a terrible thing. But this is who we're dealing with. And these people, yeah. these college students, these Gen Zers want to be like, well, you know, they've been oppressed. You know, so that it was like all's fair in, in love and war. No, these are barbarians who have yes. the overwhelming support of the Palestinians who are protecting and hiding them right now, trying to help exit Hamas out on the injured list. Uh, as they leave to Egypt, it's all a lie. They're they're pro Hamas in Palestine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they certainly are too. And I mean, even getting to the depravity of what these people have been taught about uh, Israel, when they were done cutting off body parts, raping dead people, putting babies into ovens, they did that. Then they called their parents to brag about it. Are you proud of me? Put mom on the phone. Then they sat down as the bodies were still on the ground of the Jewish people and ate the breakfast they had prepared for their families on that uh, day of rest, that holy day. And then and then more and more innocent Palestinian civilians kept com coming across the border, burning stuff down, looting stuff. God forbid they found survivors, but who knows what they did with the dead people. And they're not just raping women. I mean, this is like I said before, the simplest way to describe this is imagine your worst nightmare. Imagine something so terrifying that happens to you at three in the morning in your house when you're by yourself and you're so scared you don't even want to go look at it. And then all of a sudden it shows up and it's the devil and there's not just one of them. That's what they live through. You know, a couple things on this letter and this TikTok thing. As I mentioned, it was broken by Yashar Ali, who he gets these very interesting scoops. He's a he's an intrepid, independent reporter. And he saw this trend on TikTok and sent out a tweet on it, a post on X, and then it caught fire and so on. Well, now the Washington Post running cover for TikTok, very clearly a manipulated piece by TikTok, runs a piece like, well, it's all Yashar Ali's fault. It wasn't really a big trend. It's that, you know, if this guy hadn't amplified it, you know, this wouldn't have happened. It's not the Chinese, like they didn't do that. It's not TikTok. It's really this one. And Yet they only point out there was the one hashtag that wasn't getting as much traction as some of their other trends. It was getting millions, been seen two million times. Uh, but there was a hashtag letter to America, which is what he called his letter, uh, mm -hmm. Bin Laden. But there were many, many other trends going on TikTok at the same time that just didn't have that hashtag with it, right? They ignore that. TikTok does. Washington Post does. They don't want any responsibility for this. And to me, Rob, the point is not even that it was it was amplified or called to our attention. It's how many people glommed onto it. They were like, yes, me too. I'm interested. It's changed my my whole life, my worldview. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it is with the media, too. And, and you know this better than anybody, just the way they can try to change a story where they put it or the the headline they give it. When we have all those uh, uh, peaceful Jewish protesters in D.C., it didn't even make the front page of the Washington Post, which is right there. And then they change the headlines to, uh, they talk about a woman who who went missing during the Hamas um, 
attack. They might have called it. And now she's died. That's kind. Of, that's not really saying exactly what happened because she was kidnapped, tortured, raped and murdered. That, that's what they do. And, the, and part of the issue, too, when we talk about uh, the education of people, you got to figure not every local news station can afford to send investigative reporters places. So they have like the Associated Press or the Washington Post, the New York Times, who were no law. I mean, they're 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 just pushing an agenda. They have to put that on the wire. And then local newspapers like in my hometown of Butte, Montana, they get that crap. And then the, the locals there read it and they're spreading. That's actual propaganda right there. And it's certainly not from multiple sources, single source. And I can't even say liberal anymore. It's leftist. It's it's communist because true liberals are yeah. totally against us. I mean, if you if you listen to guys like my friend Piers Morgan, who's a liberal, but in the in the good sense, uh, you know, jabbing it's at him classical. if there is such a thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but uh, now they're just getting liberal. the stuff classical liberal. Yeah, yeah, and um, like a classical liberals should not agree with this type of Sharia law, but these these college kids that are on campus, like uh, pounding on the the doors of libraries where Jewish kids have locked themselves in, the mobs outside. I mean, this is how it starts. And you always say never forget, but we keep forgetting that part. We keep forgetting to never forget. We'll never do this again. I mean, they're, they're, we're, we're at a point, this is not far away from uh, the night of broken glass. Where they're, I mean, yeah, how- we're like, well, they're doing this, but they're not painting stars of David on businesses. Well, they certainly are. They're painting them on yeah. houses too. They're tearing down signs That's of kidnapped exactly babies. It. This is how it starts. They're doing it again. And, I, and never in a million years did I think we would forget the Holocaust and 9-11 and 9-11, that that would be wiped out, which is in recent mm-hmm. history. So I'll just give you a flavor for the morons who are doing this. There's one woman associated with these videos uh, on TikTok. Her name is Lynette Adkins. All right. So here is just a little bit of how she sounded in the TikTok video. Watch this. Everyone to stop what they're doing right now and go read. It's literally two pages. Go read a letter to America. And please come back here and just let me know what you think, because I feel like I'm going through like an existential crisis right now. And a lot of people are. So I just need someone else to be feeling this, too. Lynette, you're a moron. Um, I want to tell you a little bit about Lynette. So her video received roughly 800,000 views, over 80,000 likes on TikTok like that. By the way, if you're wondering what was in this letter to America that Bin Laden wrote, I'm not going to repeat this terrorist words, but it was basically America sucks. Palestine's the best. Uh, America's an oppressor and also put on some clothing, American ladies. <laughs> it was like, I mean, that's basically the musings that have changed her life. Um, she had 177,000 followers. Now she's deleted her profile. Good. Means she got some good pushback. She describes yes. herself as an online personality. She's a pro-Palestinian activist. She's 25 years old. She makes $200,000 a year with her fashion tip videos. This is who was, we're having influenced the national conversation. And uh, she's based in LA, 37,000 followers. I said that. And, and you know what she's got all over her Instagram page, Rob? Bunch of bikini shots. Oh, Bunch wow. of bikini. Now you tell me how her pal Osama bin Laden would feel about these photos and Lynette's take on being a Western woman. Yeah, that's I mean, that's hypocrisy at its finest right there, because, again, this is they've never been taught what actually happens. They don't understand history because it's never been taught to them. They they frown on. I mean, they've even got the point where in the, the, the most liberal Muslim nations, they have what's called burkinis, which are the same as a burqa, but you can just wear them in the water. I mean, technically, you can wear any burqa in the water. That's neither here nor there. But, yeah, bin Laden doesn't go for that, too. And another thing, too, is a, as a as a leftist in Los Angeles, I know they're big on separation of church and state. You don't need to worry about with the with Sharia because there is no state. It's just church. It's just the mosque. Uh, and you, if you think going to 
church once a week is bad. They're doing it five times a day, piping the prayers in there, and you better do that too because they're not going to treat you well. They're, they're, uh, a lot of their punishment is not that good. You steal a loaf of bread because you're so poor because of the economy, they cut your hand off, and that's getting off light. Mm-hmm. So what do, when you look at these you know, young people, because it's not just these people on TikTok, the same people who are sympathizing with the Hamas terrorists. And here I do draw a distinction between, you know, the Israel-Palestinian conflict has gone back a long way. You can have different feelings on it. I don't think you're necessarily anti-Semitic just because you see this as a complicated situation. But you look at 10-7 and say, well, needs to be contextualized. You have any reaction other than that was terror, inexcusable. Team Israel, in response to that, there's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with you. So it's the same people. All these people who are online right now doing this with bin Laden are pro-Palestinian, pro-Hamas. None of them thinks Israel has uh, any nobility, uh, has done, has tried to do the right thing, which is what history shows us. So what's your message to them, Rob? What, what do you want them to hear from you? Well, I would like them to get educated, uh, understand what's actually going on and that who I mean, who the actual good guys are, too. I mean, bad stuff happens at war. I don't I've been to war a lot and I I don't want there to be war ever again. I hate it. And I truly believe that most people are good and they want to get on with their lives. But when you get to the bad eggs, there's some bad people there and they they're they're attracting all of this. But they're smart enough to realize that they can get into the head of the uneducated Americans who don't know what they're doing. If they just know that Israel's bad occupier on TikTok, but haven't done any research whatsoever. Uh, they're going to be using it against them. I, I, I really want. I mean, if I could, if I could make it happen, I would want every single American and actually every Westerner to get to Lower Manhattan, go through the 9/11 Memorial Museum, and and don't plan on doing anything afterwards. Yes. And after you do that, go to the Holocaust Museum in Washington D.C. Again, don't plan on doing anything after, but reflect on what actually happened and the realization. This is not a movie. This is not a video game. This, this is, these are real horrors, and that's putting it lightly with really, really bad guys, again, putting it, putting it lightly and they would do much worse to you. Uh, you're not going to be waving that rainbow flag in, in anywhere over there. Uh, God forbid you were in the, in the West bank, the way that I put it, if you want the quickest way to go to flight school is to say that you're gay because they'll throw you right off a building. Right. That's exactly it. Rob O'Neill, love talking to you. love your points of view. I'm very grateful to you for being on today. All the best to you. Thank you, Megan. Anytime. Appreciate it. Mm. Such a special guy. We are so lucky he's on our side and it was willing to do the things he has done, which, by the way, go well beyond the raid on Abbottabad and, and, and bin Laden. You've got to go back and listen to that episode. Trust me when I tell you. Trust me. I've said before, if you don't like that episode 109 between uh, Rob O'Neill and yours truly, I can't please you. It's the best I can do. Uh, the most interesting person with the most fascinating stories and again, it goes well beyond 9-11. God bless him and all of those who serve. When we come back, Dave Rubin. Hi, I'm Nick. I'm getting married today. I'm also a firefighter and first responder. When you move over and slow down, you're making sure I can make it to my ceremony to start the next chapter of my life. When you see flashing lights, remember, they're not just roadside workers. Thank you for moving over and slowing down. From the ridiculous TikTokers in our first block to the ridiculous media and their biased coverage of the war in the Middle East in our next. Joining me now, Dave Rubin, host of The Rubin Report. Dave, welcome back to the show. What do you make of uh, these? I do think it's interesting now that The Washington Post is running cover for TikTok, just taking the TikTok numbers like, oh, hey, you know, they didn't really have anything going there until this evil journalist decided to make something out of it. And Honestly, any critical media would say this is TikTok trying to manipulate me, which is its business. 
as opposed to just being a stenographer for TikTok, even CNNers now are coming to Yashar Ali's defense saying, yo, this isn't his doing. It's yours, TikTok. Megan, before I answer the question, and I promise you I will, I want to make you blush and see if I can make you match your beautiful red background there, because you have been so good over the last six or seven weeks since this October 7th thing happened, the previous segment that I watched the whole thing of, but just everywhere on Twitter, everything you're doing on the show every day. I have seen so many people in our space, names need not be mentioned right now, who are doing half-assed measures related to all of this or, or very muddled morally, uh, would take very different positions if the things were just a little bit different. You can all figure out what that might mean. And you have just been so freaking good that dare I say you've made me a little bit better because when you see bravery, it, it starts getting replicated. So I hope that I made you blush just a little bit there. So and sweet, uh, now I will answer your question, which is, of course, the Washington Post, uh, much like the giant iron made in Spaceballs, both blows and sucks. That's what they do. They're part of the mainstream media. They get everything wrong. They run cover for the Chinese regime the same way they would run cover for anyone who is trying to fight the woke or get gender stuff out of schools or any of the things. This is 101 for Washington Post. And you're totally right on the TikTok front. We have a massive problem here with TikTok. And the 9-11 uh, story is the perfect example of it. You know, I was in New York City uh, during 9-11. I think you were in New York City, City during 9-11. It was one of my most formative moments, obviously, uh, in my entire life and my politics and everything else. Uh, but that they have now, the Chinese intentionally pushed this letter onto our young people who, whose minds have already been muddled by our negligent education system and our totally sold out and corrupt mainstream media and everything else. It's fertile ground for all of the worst ideas. So you get Bikini Girl talking about how much she loves quote unquote Palestine, where I suspect they would be less than enthused to have her in a bikini on the beach. <laughs> it's so absurd. I mean, you have to laugh because these people are ridiculous, but they're, it's not just a couple of them. I realize the majority of Americans are definitely pro-Israel and understand what's happening here, but there's enough up and coming on the other side who are outraged over the fact that Israel's defending itself, that they're now actually running to the arms of bin Laden's ideas and those of his accolades. I mean, those of his, his acolytes, because online right now, what we're seeing is a spike in terror talk. What we're seeing is um, a bunch of uh, Al-Qaeda forums saying, hey, this is great. We should post more and more content. You know, it's really catching on. Look how well we're doing over on TikTok. And while TikTok was basically forced to stop these trends over on its platform because it was too much, even for, you know, the Americans who love TikTok, um, they're, they're going to do it again. They are pro these kinds of messages because it is being pushed by the Chinese. Well, remember, I mean, we know for a fact that America's version of TikTok is very different than Chinese TikTok. On Chinese TikTok, they're quite literally learning about mathematics and physics and science, actual science and things of that nature. Now, I have no doubt they're learning about authoritarian stuff that probably lends itself to being under the foot of the CCP regime, but they're learning actual factually based things and they're not being having their brains broken with the gender stuff and the race stuff and everything else. So all of that would be the natural, uh, it would be the natural road that would get you to young people in the United States, which for all her flaws is still the freest place uh, in uh, certainly on planet earth and, in, and really in the history of, of humanity uh, and that they would be for Hamas or for terrorism. And the thing is 
that what people need to understand is that what's happening right now, you don't have to be you don't have to really understand the geopolitics of the Middle East or understand the founding of Israel or that a state known as Palestine for a people known as Palestinians never existed. And I'm happy to do any of the history on that if you want. Um, you don't have to understand any of that. But what you should understand, whether you live in London or Paris or Brussels or El Salvador, literally anywhere on earth, is that if you think when they are done with the Jews, that they are just going to wash their hands and be like, all right, let's go home, guys. No, that is the beginning. How do you think the I was in London two weeks ago for Jordan Peterson's art conference. Trust me, there are a lot of native Brits, good British citizens uh, who are worried about the future of their country right now and with good reason. And it's not because yeah, of those I mean, pesky Jews. Well, they've already been overrun. I mean, the number of immigrants into London, not to mention France, uh, who are very pro-Hamas is actually downright alarming. In some ways, this has been, I mean, it's not a good thing. But I'm just saying the after effects, there's some good stuff coming because people are being outed. No, there's some Their anti-Semitism yeah. being outed and the groups who support it on Moss are being delegitimized to many of us. I didn't know anything about Students for Justice in Palestine. I didn't know anything about them. Now I do. Got it. Be looking for that on the resume when I screen for future hires. <laughs> Some people will actually consider it a, a plus and actually try to hire those. We're people. not hiring any of them either. I just told my guys. Same. That's it. All right. So there's so much to go over. They literally gave President Xi a standing ovation out in the tech center in San Fran yesterday with the president of the United States right there. We'll tell you exactly who who stood and cheered for the guy with the Muslim genocide going on. OK, we'll get to all of it as Dave Rubin stays with us. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Spectrum Business works with small businesses nationwide, so we know that running your own business means doing it all. Marketing, sales, inventory, customer service, and more. Spectrum One for Business helps you keep it all connected for just $49.99 a month. Get fast, reliable internet, advanced Wi-Fi with security shield, and a free mobile line for one low price. Stay connected and do it all with Spectrum One for Business. Only $49.99 a month. Go to spectrum.com business to learn more. Restrictions apply. Service is not available in all areas. Not everything in life is flexible, but at Capella University, your education can be. With our game-changing FlexPath learning format, you're empowered to fit education into your life without putting other priorities on hold. FlexPath lets you set your own deadlines and adjust them when needed. You can take courses at your own speed and move on to the next one when you're ready. Imagine how a flexible education can make a difference in your life at capella.edu. Dave, okay, so while we're on the topic of media, we've got to get to Gail King. So Gail King is one of the co-hosts of CBS This Morning, and I was critical of her yesterday on Twitter, among many other people who are, who are critical of her. But man, alive, let me just say, behind the scenes... Her team freaked out. They really want me to take back my criticism. It's a no. No, okay? you should it's not. No. I retweeted you. No, you should yeah. not. Because I'm not taking Stand my retweet Stand by every away. word. Every word. So here's what she did while interviewing the father of a hostage eight-year-old girl being held by Hamas. So this man moved to Israel 30 years ago. He's Irish. He raised his daughter there in Israel and she was one of the little girls taken hostage off of a kibbutz in uh, Israel. She is now in Hamas custody. We do not know whether she's dead or alive. And Gail King has him on the show and decides this would be a great way to talk to him and great place to go with him. 
But now this seems to be all about politics. What do you say about that? You know, you have innocent children and Palestinians who are dying, innocent Israeli children who are dying, and no one seems to be able to say enough, stop that. (sighs) I'm not interested in politics at all. Uh, My only concern is getting Emily back. Unbelievable. I, to me, it was grossly inappropriate to bring up this moral equivalency between, you know, some Israeli kids were hurt, but some Palestinian kids, they're also they've also been taken. And now it's just kind of politics. That's not at all what's happening here. This is not about politics. It's about an evil terrorist group that killed 1400 innocents, including children and women, and has this man's daughter right now. You don't go there with him. It was insensitive. It was wrong. And yes, to those of you at CBS wondering whether I saw the whole interview, I watched the whole thing. That was grossly inappropriate. It's gross. It's evil. It's amoral. And it's, again, consistent with everything that the mainstream media does when it somehow comes to Israel and the Jews. The idea that you would sit down with this man and ask him about the children who are dying in Gaza solely because of Hamas. Everyone knows Israel literally drops leaflets. Please leave this building. We know there are rockets in this kindergarten. They send text messages. They call people. They have a humanitarian corridor. Hamas wants dead Gazans almost as badly, almost as badly as they want dead Israelis. But Gail King, it's, it's really embarrassing. And I know there's no low that is too low for the people at CBS News or or any of these places at this point. Uh, But the gall of her to say this, and by the way, when she says, I wrote it down because I want to get it right, she said, no one seems to be able to say enough. It's like, actually, everyone's saying it. Israel has said it since day one. Hamas, right now, release all of the hostages. By the way, there are hostages, uh, not just Israeli hostages. We think there's at least 12 American hostages. We also believe that a woman gave birth Uh, just a day or two ago, one of the hostages. So there's actually more hostages now. I mean, it's so psychotic. It sounds like a a Saw movie or something, what's going on over there. Um, But there's plenty of people saying enough, and there is a political solution. The political solution is that they give up the hostages and every single member of Hamas uh, turns themselves in. And then we can see what happens on the other side. The, all the same people, the same nonsense coming out of Gail King is the same nonsense coming out of AOC and Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib and the rest of the Hamas caucus, which is that we should suddenly have a ceasefire. And it's like, you know what? We did have a ceasefire on October 6th. There were no Israelis, no Jews living in Gaza. They wanted nothing to do with the place. They left in 2005. They said, take our temples, take our greenhouses, take our infrastructure. There were wealthy Jews in New York who donated millions of dollars to Gaza. We know what Hamas did with the water pipes. They turned them into rockets. They're now exposing all of the weapons that they keep under Shifa Hospital. But Gail King, she's the same as, say, an Andrea Mitchell over at MSNBC. These people who just want to be pet on the head so that they don't look like they can you know, that they're somehow in it with the Jews or something to that effect. And uh, yes, you still get beheaded, ladies. That's how it works. Yeah, she's been going with the Hamas numbers. Hamas keeps trying to tell us that, you know, they've got 10,000 dead. How do we know that? How do we know that? Same way we know that Israel was behind that hospital bombing, that it wasn't actually behind, that, you know, killed 500 poor, innocent Palestinians, which wasn't true at all. That was from Hamas. So are these numbers of dead. We're not going to know. Honestly, we're not going to know until Israel tells us because Israel revises its numbers. Israel actually just down 
graded, whatever, however you want to say it, the number of dead in Israel killed by that Hamas attack from 1,400 to 1,200, because they were saying, you know what, once we actually looked at the dead bodies, we realized that some 200 of them were Palestinian fighters who had gotten killed by the IDF or others. That's what Israel does. Hamas is the one who inflates the numbers, but she's gone with their numbers. Oh, it's so sad, the number that they've killed. And by the way, she's the same person who had Alice Walker on, uh, the one who wrote The Color Purple, who's who's like a vile anti-Semite and did a fawning interview with her, didn't raise any of her literally like lizard people belief about Jews in the interview, just puffed her up. That's it, because she's Oprah's fave. So she got a total pass. So this is a pattern of falling down on the job when it comes to the Jews. Go ahead. Well, she also got the job because she's Oprah's fave. There's nobody wandering around that's a Gail King fan. I mean, that's that's fairly obvious. But putting that aside for a moment, you know, I think, Megan, the other problem that we're all having here is that there is such a stark um, discrepancy between these two sides. It's a little easier for all of us to contemplate what a war would look like between warring nations uh, that, that, you know, kind of have roughly the same armies, that kind of have roughly the same types of people and cultures in them, and they're having some sort of territorial dispute. The The problem is this is not a territorial dispute. The Palestinian movement since, and really since before 1948, uh, has always been about exterminating the Jews. Let's not forget, uh, before 1948, when people talk about a 75-year occupation, the people that are saying, oh, Israel has been occupying Palestine since since 1948, 75 years, they're calling for a return to the British Empire. I mean, we could also go back 250 plus years and we could bring back the Ottoman Empire. There there has never been a Palestinian state. In 1936, the Peel Commission offered to split the land between two people. They didn't call them Palestinians at the time. They were known as Arabs. It was between Arabs and Jews. The Arabs said no, the Jews said yes. 1947 partition plan, the British, they were like, okay, our empire is coming to an end. We're leaving this place. Could we split this thing for you? The Jews said yes. The Arabs said no. Then five Arab armies launched a war. The Jews miraculously won. 2000, 2008, at least five times they've been offered a state and said no every time. Even in Bill Clinton's book, he says how the offer that was made in 2000, it was 97% of what any sort of Palestinian mainstream thinker would have wanted, 97% of the territory, and they were going to swap another 3%. And Arafat basically said to him, look, if I sign this deal, he he knew it was the deal. He said, if I sign this deal, they're going to kill me. So they didn't sign it. So this has nothing to do with territory. There is a tiny little place smaller than New Jersey where some Jews live that that was nothing but a desert and partly a swamp that they made the desert bloom and they have brought Western values into uh, just two generations off the Holocaust. And it's, it's, it's a modern miracle and the neighbors aren't that happy. But, you know, it's baked into the story of the Jews. If you've ever spent, I'm sure you have spent a holiday with some of your Jewish friends. Every holiday is they tried to kill us. They did kill a whole bunch of us. We survived. Let's eat. And that's what's going to happen. I was going to say, with a lot of great, delicious brisket. And sometimes some yeah. very nice things that the man says about the woman in the in the preamble. Um, <laughs> I, I lived yeah. in an Orthodox building when I was in Manhattan. So I have a lot of uh, dear Jewish friends from that. I mean, in my life, I had a lot of dear Jewish friends, but I'm just saying there, I actually experienced a lot of the customs and the meals and so on. It's absolutely lovely. Um, I was like the resident goy and they were all absolutely <laughs> lovely to me. You could always tell it was our apartment because we were the only ones with the Christmas tree. Um, <laughs> let's stay on the topic of the media. Wait, and they weren't, they weren't attacking you? For your other religious <laughs> Amazingly, beliefs, they didn't, they didn't put blood on your door or anything like that. Well, I can't believe it. 
What is with the weird stuff on Twitter right now? Like you've seen the attacks on Ben Shapiro showing him. I think he was giving an interview to Joe Rogan where he's like, the question was, so what do you think happened to, you know, what do you think about Christ or Jesus Christ? He wasn't Christ. Like, he's like no, we, we thought, like just a, just a man got on the wrong side of the Romans. Okay. They're like, look at this. Hello. We're aware. <laughs> we as Christians right. know that that's not what the Jewish people believe, nor do they have to in order for us to enjoy their social commentary, be absolutely dear friends with them, and in some cases, marry across religious lines. Who the hell's trying to stoke fire there? I know that's, you know, that's a real thing that seems to be bubbling up on the right right now that I hope we nip it in the bud and I'm going to do everything that I can to to try to do that because Ben isn't denying that Jesus of Nazareth was a man. He was a Jew and a rabbi uh, and he's not denying that he was crucified by the Romans. He's saying, according to my theological beliefs, he's Jewish. He believes in the Old Testament that he was a man that this happened to. Then the New Testament picks it up and Christianity obviously picks it up and he is the, the savior of the of the Christians, right? The, I was just in Israel. I spent five days in Jerusalem going to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, going to the Western Wall, et cetera, et cetera, talking about the history with experts and all of those things. The, the Jewish uh, theologians and the historians that, that work there and give tours there, no one denies that Jesus uh, was a man that lived there, et cetera. By the way, it's, it's sort of hilarious because Jesus was a Jew who lived in Judea, which we now call the West Bank, where Rashida Tlaib doesn't want any Jews to live. The story of Hanukkah is the story of the Maccabees, the Jews defending the Judean hills. You're not going to believe who lived in Judea uh, from the Greek invaders. She doesn't want, she and Ilhan Omar, NAOC, et cetera, think that the Jews are somehow occupying the place that Hanukkah took place. I mean, it's again, it's one of these things like I'm, I'm not a particularly religious person. Uh, I, I actually, so I have become a bit more religious in light of what's going on right now, because I think it pushes people to the to the limits of their beliefs or the limits maybe of their secular beliefs. But but that's why the, the Jewish Christian connection here is so important, because Christianity was born out of Judaism. It doesn't mean that every Jew has to be a Christian, but you should understand the linkage just chronologically, because obviously the Old Testament came first and then the New Testament. You have to understand that these things are deeply connected. Uh, and just one more thing on this real quick. Uh, you know, if you go to Jerusalem, I'm sure you've been there, Megan, if you go to Jerusalem, you you see that this is a place of coexistence. You can walk the old city and see women literally in burqas walking next to ultra-Orthodox Jewish men. Try going to any other place in the Middle East and seeing anything like that. So when they say Israel's an apartheid state, it has the least apartheid. Every freaking road sign in Israel is in Hebrew, English, and Arabic. Makes you wonder. No, I'm sorry to say I have never been there and it was on my bucket list. And of course now, oh, well, you know, you, who knows? You will go once this thing is cleaned up. I have no doubt. You're going to have a lot of invites. I promise you that. Oh, that's nice. I look forward to it. You know, it's funny because we actually sent our oldest child to Jewish preschool and uh, we're Catholic. Doug's Presbyterian, which I always mock him is like, man, eh, what is that? <laughs> you don't have to like do penance. You don't have to do it. They just give it anyway. Um, so we sent Yates to Jewish preschool because it was a really good preschool and it was right there. And I remember talking to them saying, so on the subject of Jesus, what exactly is he going to be learning? And they were like, you know, we don't really get into the specifics at this age. And uh, but they're like, but just, you know, our general view is he's just a man. That's it. Not that he did. He's just a man. And it was funny because that Christmas came and uh, he came home and they, they sent him home with like his little school picture. And there was a star of David and there was a menorah and there was like, <laughs> I'm like, OK, so I get it. It's it's real. 
uh, probably won't stay here all the way through K through 12, but it's we got a base in there so he understands people have different beliefs and we love them just as we love fellow Catholics or Presbyterians. Megan, I, in any event, okay. I love yeah, hearing that. And you know, I think you know, how many Jews now are sending their kids actually to Catholic schools because Catholic schools yeah. have become a little more impervious to the woke nonsense where a lot of Jewish schools, because Judaism in a modern sense has become so connected with, with liberalism, unfortunately, uh, that the Jewish schools have gone woke and sane Jews are now, if they're, if they're not ultra-Orthodox, are trying to find more traditional places to send their kids. It's, it's really wild how those lines are You know, because they saw right this now. coming. They saw this coming. Don't you think, I don't think it's a coincidence that people like Barry Weiss, you know, who's obviously Jewish, you like are, were anti-woke before a lot of other people were anti-woke on the left. Right. Because I feel like Jewish people had a particular window into this pernicious ideology. And Barry said on this show very early on, I think we were still not even on on video. Jews don't rate. Jews don't count in this hierarchical system. And it was one of the reasons she she could see it coming and thought it was very dangerous. And now, God, it's like, is there a woke Jew in America other than these weird Jewish voices for peace or nothing of the kind? Yeah, well, first off, most of them aren't Jewish. I'm pretty sure Randy Weingarten, who is still the teachers union head, is probably pretty still woke. But no, a lot of Jews, I mean, I have heard from a lot of Jews that I knew in my childhood who probably were not fans of mine for the last, you know, 10 years, who are texting me suddenly like, Dave, haven't haven't spoken about a decade, but uh, maybe you were right about some of this stuff. But Megan, I would also say there's a little bit of a danger always making this about Jews, because again, Jews are just the canary in the coal mine here. Yeah. They are not going to be thrilled about the Megyn Kelly's exercising her free speech on the other side of this thing. They're not going to be thrilled with any of the people of your audience who have any sort of liberal Western values or believe in, say, the founding documents of the United States or anything else. And, and the interesting thing about the United States right now is that we are still, for many reasons, geographic and culturally and, and because of our founding documents, we're in a much better place, as screwy as things are, than Western Europe. Again, I was just in London. It, it is tense, to say the least. And there are hundreds of thousands of these people mobilizing, uh, and they would gladly take down Britain. They're screaming about Israel now, but it starts there. So again, this is... it's. I always feel like it's a little dangerous. I would prefer people not to talk about the Jews so much because it's just a yeah. little piece of it. And uh, and there's a much bigger problem on the horizon. Yeah, there certainly is. Um, all right, so that leads me to this fight that I've been trying to avoid because it makes me uncomfortable, but we have to get into it. And that's Candace versus Ben. Um, it's all over the internet. It's all over everywhere. So Candace Owens works for Ben Shapiro's Daily Wire. And it, you could feel this percolating for weeks, couldn't you? Like it- it wasn't oh, particularly months. surprising. I mean, I think it's been percolating since the since the Kanye stuff, which was probably over a year ago now. Yes, because she was a big supporter of Kanye, who without question made a bunch of anti-Semitic remarks. And Candace was quick to say they're not anti-Semitic. If you're honest, she always has these sweeping judgments as part of her commentary. Like, if you're an honest person, you'll admit that there's no anti-Semitism there. No, I think I feel like the part about all the evil Jew controllers was like a slightly, maybe just like a little, it was a little, <laughs> just a tinge anti-Semitic. Anyway, um, so he was her friend. So I was like, okay, she's trying to give her friend the benefit of the doubt. But then this happened. And she, let's just say she hasn't been extremely vocal in condemning Hamas. And Ben, of course, has been like steering the plane. You know, he's been very forceful, very smart um, on condemning Hamas and giving the proper con context and perspective 
for what's actually happened here. And the, some of the things you were just pointing about, about the long history of how many times they've been offered a two-state solution and they don't want it. What they want is Israel gone, dead, Jews dead. That's what they really want. So it culminates in Ben. I don't know where he was. He was speaking at some sort of an event and somebody captured him on an iPhone and, and, and then it went viral, criticizing her. Here's what he said. Yes, uh, the, the question was about Candace Owens. I think her behavior during this has been disgraceful. Without a doubt, Candace Owens. I can't, what was that? Yeah, yeah, and I think she's been absolutely disgraceful. I think that, I think that her, her faux sophistication on these particular issues has been ridiculous. It's not faux sophistication, it's ridiculous. Everybody can see the moves that she's making and the things that she's saying, and I find them disreputable. Okay. So he he definitely took a shot at her, no question, as she's been disgraceful and that she has faux sophistication that she's using here that is not well-founded. And then she struck back on Twitter by posting a Bible verse about persecution and how you cannot serve two masters, you cannot serve both God and money. And then Ben responded by saying something to the effect of, if you don't like your job at the Daily Wire, uh, or if you think God requires you to leave your job at the Daily Wire, you can quit. And then she posts on Twitter, Christ is king. So it's like, okay, that's definitely not, as we discussed, what Jewish people like Ben believe. He, I don't think he was questioning her religious beliefs, right? I think he understood she was claiming to be persecuted and suggesting maybe that Ben had chosen money over God. I don't, I don't know, to be honest. I don't yeah, really well, understand I think her. That it's, yeah, I think it's fairly obvious that that's kind of what right. she was doing here. Listen, I want to be very- So then, but well, let me just give the end of it. I, so then she posted that yeah, Crisis sorry. King. Ben didn't say anything in response. And then she went on with Tucker. And he asked her about, it. I think, I believe he extended the invitation in the midst of all this, you know, to sort of capitalize on the, on the buzz around it. She went on and she commented further, and then I'll get to that soundbite in one second. So I'll like, let you take it now. Go ahead. Uh, well, just to clarify one thing, I'm actually not sure when that Tucker thing had been taped. So I don't know if it was already pre, because it aired like two hours after these this Twitter exchange. But he so asked it seems her to about me the like controversy. Had, I mean, they, they talked about the controversy. Like she she had definitely right, so seen I guess Ben's sort of videotape right attacking her. Right. So I guess it sort of happened at the same time. It may sort of be a moot point. I just want to say before we talk about this fully, that the same thing that I said on my show yesterday when I addressed this, look, I, I, I am friends with both of these people, or at least have been friends with both of these people. I was at Candace's wedding. I was the one that sort of put her on a, sh a big show for the first time when she was known as Red Pill Black. Uh, she was a little YouTuber and I put her on my show. I didn't even know her name till she sat in the chair in front of me back in 2017. Ben and I, when I was waking up to a lot of the leftist stuff, Ben I interviewed in 2016. We've all kind of grown out of this together. We've shared meals. Candace was at my house helping us pick out baby strollers just a year and a half ago. So all of that being said, um, I think Candace's reaction to October 7th has been very disappointing. She basically said something to the effect of, I'm not an expert in these things. We don't have to comment on everything, except she's in the business of commenting on everything. And she does comment on everything, but she's had a couple moments related to things with Jews where she seems unable to comment. So people can glean into that what they want. I'm really trying to be as measured here as possible. I think the bigger problem that they're having is that Candace wants a, a, a glorious exit. 
And nothing would be better than if the Jew fired her for, so that she can go launch a new media company, maybe with Tucker. I, I don't know exactly. Uh, but Ben sat on this for a long time. You know, Ben's get, been getting hit from people on his side saying, oh, you let her, you let someone who works for you. And I don't know that Ben fully runs operations there anymore, but he's the, you know, he's the face of the Daily Wire. You let this person continue to work there after the craziness with Kanye and everything else. So Ben is getting hit on both sides, right? He's getting hit on the Candace side of things. Uh, and then he's also getting hit from his base saying, oh, we told you, like, what did you think was going to happen here? So it's it's very sad for me personally, because you know what it's like, Megan, you meet all these people in this, you become friends with people, you break bread with people. And this is the last thing the right needs right now. It's the last thing we need spiritually and religiously for the reasons you just said, but it's the last thing we need politically and culturally if we're going to fix what the problem is. There is a much bigger problem related to what the woke have done and what has happened to the Democrat Party and the collapse of our institutions and everything else. Ben and Candace, for all their differences and for whatever their blind spots might be and whatever we can criticize them on, I'm pretty sure that they still want to live in the same country. I'm pretty sure. I can't speak for either one of them. I think I want to live in the same country as, as people like both of them. And that is going to be the challenge for, for people like you and I, Megan, because it's like too many of us are about to just dive off either side. And I think for those of us that want to hold this thing together and realize what the real problem is, it, it's going to be very, very complex. Mm. She called him emotionally unhinged. And that for me was, I mean, Ben was in Israel when the terror attack was launched. You know, he, he, he had been there and with his family and he has deep connections and ties. I think he owns a home there. Um, obviously he's a very openly Orthodox Jewish American. Who's like kind of the face of Judaism for many people here. He's been under death threat after death threat because of that from the alt-right and from the lunatic left who are anti-Semites as we are very clearly seeing. So I don't think there's been anything even close to emotionally unhinged about Ben's reaction. Nothing. I listen to his show all the time. I was more emotional about what happened yeah. on 107 on my show. I don't know how that than he was. I don't know how Ben got through those first few episodes. I don't I listen to him sending him texts like I don't get how you're doing it. Um, and that's a reaction we've heard from a few people like, my God, people are so emotional. They're overly emotional about <laughs> about 107. It's like. Yeah, we tend to get emotional when babies get burned in ovens. Like I'm right. kind of shocked well, at, at the loss of like understanding of how depraved this was. Well, it was not only the depravity, but the fact that the Hamas fighters intentionally filmed it and that we have seen videos of people's, we've literally, I mean, everyone's seen them at this point, people's heads being chopped off. And now they know they baked babies alive and the, you know, the, threw grenades into bomb shelters and people's body parts all over the place and everything else. So you might be a bit more sensitive to that, uh, especially if you are Jewish and you have a connection to that place. But again, many Christians and all sorts of people from all walks of life all over the world have a connection to Israel. But it was the sheer barbarity that caused that. But I would also say that, you know, as someone that grew up with Holocaust survivors in my family on both sides, and my uncle Jerry's father, Joe, had the had the numbers on his arm, and I grew up hearing about those stories and all of those things, and I heard the stories of survival and, and heard about the people that didn't survive and everything else. Yeah, Jews might be a little sensitive to this sort of thing. Like, it might, maybe Jews are a little emotive about this, and I, I would say that 
maybe that's uh, something that people should grant a bit a bit of a leash on. Uh, but that I was a little disappointed in the way Tucker phrased the question on that about the overly emotional part because he asked about that, and um, you know. Yeah, people people do get emotional about things. He he was sort of comparing it to that people don't get emotional about the border problem here or the fentanyl problem here. But Megan, it. like you, I think, I think like we have you, I'll, I'll I cover. It. Hold on a second. Hold oh, okay, that thought. Okay. It's it's uh, twenty five. Okay. I'm an American. I was horrified by what happened on October seventh. Honestly, it was pretty strange. Um, I don't really understand how it happened, but innocents died, and that's awful. And I hated watching that. And I feel so sorry for the Israelis um, who were killed. However, there's an emotional response that is disproportionate, I think, on the part of some commentators. I mean, our country's being invaded right now by millions of young men whose identities we don't know, who probably don't even like America, and they're now living here. Over 100,000 Americans die every year of fentanyl. I've known a couple. Those are real tragedies. I've never seen anything like the emotion from any commentator around those tragedies as I'm watching about a foreign tragedy. Go ahead, Megan, it's not a foreign tragedy. How many Americans have died already? There are 12 Americans at least held hostage right now. So I don't know what a proportionate emotional response is. I also don't know. It's very bizarre. And I, I really don't mean this as an attack on Tucker. Uh, he's expressing something that beneath that I think is legitimate, that, that there are problems with our border and there are problems with fentanyl. But as I said on my show yesterday, we have to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time. I cover the border on my show every single day. I talk about the fentanyl crisis every single day. I don't know that anyone has shown more of the urban decay that has happened in San Francisco and Los Angeles on their show than me. I literally fled LA in the most public way because of <laughs> all of those problems and homelessness and all all of that stuff to come to the free state of Florida. But, but those things are happening in sort of slow motion in front of us. And it is more jarring to see body parts blown apart. But again, what would, what would be the proportionate? It's odd. They say Israel responds militarily disproportionately. I guess it would be tough to get a bunch of Israeli soldiers to you know, rape a thousand Palestinian women. But the Isra so basically Jewish people have disproportionate emotional responses and the Israelis have a disproportionate military response. No other people on earth would ever be subjected to this. But, but I do want to just make it clear. I would grant Tucker a leash on this. He, the, underneath that, he is making a point that we have problems here. And the real issue is not, oh, those people are screaming about that too much. It's that we have to be able to deal with several important things at the same time if we're a serious country. The, the key is, I guess, if. If. So I have a couple of things on it. Number one, I, I defend the emotional response to what happened over there because it's just that depraved and barbaric. But I, I understand why he said what he said, because if you watch Tucker... Like it's, I wouldn't say he, he's a single issue voter, but he's close to it. You know, he's mm -hmm. been extremely alarmed about what's happening at the southern border for a long, long time. And he used his platform on Fox and on X to call repeated attention to it. And I think he's frustrated he's not getting traction. You know, look at our border. Something got worse, not better. And even with Democrat cities now drowning in illegal immigrants and their schools are overrun, still they're not doing anything to change it. They're just asking for more federal money so they can bring in more translators, you know? So I think it's a deep frustration of his about yeah. people not paying attention to that issue, and which I think a lot of our audience shares. I will say this. Yeah. That's why I'm I addressing know, that A lot too. of people that's I know and not, respect yeah. reacted to this by saying if they thought Tucker was being anti-Semitic there and they thought Candace was being anti-Semitic. And even though, you know, Sheena and I have had our spat online about what should happen to these lunatics out there pulling down the posters and saying it's all Israel's fault. 
I don't think that they should get hired, and I'm happy to out them. She feels differently. I, I don't see the anti-Semitism. Maybe I'm wrong in those two, because I, what I see is people who care about something else more. And I don't know about Candace. I haven't really looked at all of her stuff, to be perfectly honest. But I think in Tucker, he, he, he care. I, th- I believe Tucker does care, care about the Israelis. I just think he, he's got another issue that drives most of his commentary and policy recommendations. But maybe I'm wrong. I'm maybe because I love the guy. So am I too biased? No, look, you're you're encapsulating sort of what I was saying about Tucker also. I'm willing to grant him that leash. There is something that he cares very deeply about as a as a pundit and as an American and and he has expressed that over the years and probably paid the price with his job for that. So I'm I definitely do grant that. Maybe he muddled it the way he said it a little bit about the emotions. Like maybe if he thought about it a little I suspect if if Tucker if Tucker's head slid in, in a box right here and we discussed this with him the way we're discussing it maybe he would say, you know, I do get the emotional part. So I, I think that's just would, fine. Uh, would say the, that. the he, he wants part, equal emotion is, on the other thing. Right. And that's just fine, by the way. And again, I know you cover the border all the time, too. And also, you have to remember, the, our media is so bad that so many people are confused as to what the important issues are. Let's not forget that RFK is uh, only within the last like four months even realized that the border was a problem. It was only when he <laughs> went down there and suddenly saw literally dozens of people walking by him. And he was like, what country are you from? What country are you from? What country are you from? That suddenly he's like, boy, there's a problem here. So smart people don't get it. I, you know, one of the problems when you're a little ahead of the curve, and let's say Tucker's been ahead of the curve on the border thing, when you're ahead of the curve, you start getting frustrated about the people who kind of come a little bit behind you. Cause you're like, I've been screaming about this. I paid the price for this. I got canceled. I got yelled at. I got called a white supremacist. By the way, it's partly yeah. why Trump is so angry all the time now, because he was right about a lot of stuff. So, so again, I'm fully willing to, to grant uh, grace to Tucker on that. The, the Candace one is a bit more complex because you may have seen the other clip uh, where she was on with a, a comedian and she talked about how she went to Israel and they had the Muslim quarter and it felt like the segregated South. And it's like, no, in Jerusalem, they have had the Muslim quarter and the Armenian quarter and the Jewish quarter. They have had these things for thousands of years, well before the modern state of Israel. Everyone's allowed to walk through, although if you're a Jewish person, you really don't want to walk through the Muslim quarter. It's not that safe for you. But imagine if Israel had been like, okay, we're sending Jews and Christians into the Muslim quarter. Like then they would say Israel is occupying the Muslim quarter. So again, I would say that's not that's not bigotry on her behalf. I would like to see maybe get a bit more educated on really what is going on there. That that is the grace that I am willing to offer uh, at this point. Mm-hmm. Now the whole thing is like it's uncomfortable. It's probably going to go. It's not going to end well for her over the Daily Wire. That's clear. Uh, I think you're right. She probably no, but I kind of think that that's so what she, she wants, do. right? I don't think they're going to fire her. I don't. So they don't operate like that. They. I think if they were going to fire her because they were offended. I didn't say it's what, what she's she going to get. I said it's what she wants. Yeah. Yeah. Then they would, I think they would have gotten rid of her after the Kanye West stuff, but they didn't. And the Daily Wire has been pretty good about defending speech or at least allowing speech, even that they don't like over there. Um, but this is getting very personal. And I don't, I think, you know, her calling him emotionally unhinged and him calling her I, I, like if I faux sophisticate, I don't know. This is why I remain independent, Dave. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> We're looking pretty good right now, sister. You know, if <laughs> Megyn Kelly goes off the deep end tomorrow, nobody can say it's Ruben's fault. <laughs> That's right. You just would you please, though, dive in and rescue me if you could if you could be so kind. That'd be great. Although for the record, you're you are on that. I always tell you you're on my short list of sane people, but you are on the short list of people like you want to build a network. Let's talk. 
Let's talk, Kelly. Uh, same. Same, Ruben. Great to see you. All the best to you. Thanks for coming on. Have a great weekend. All right, you too. All right, we're going to end the show with some laughs. Do you know comedian J.P. Sears? This guy got me through COVID. Love him. He's next. Hey, everyone. It's me, Megan Kelly. Mark your calendars. News Nation, Sirius XM, December 6th in a live primetime event. The News Nation Republican primary debate. Sirius XM's Megan Kelly returns to the moderator's seat. I'll ask the questions you want to hear. Real issues, tough questions, every contender. Because if you want to be the leader of the free world, you better be ready to give America the answers they're looking for. Live from the University of Alabama, the News Nation Republican primary debate. Moderated by Sirius Sirius XM's Megyn Kelly and News Nation's Elizabeth Vargas. December 6th, 8 p.m. Eastern. Watch it on News Nation, America's fastest growing cable news network. Find News Nation on your screen at joinnn.com or listen on Sirius XM Triumph Channel 111. Go to SiriusXM.com slash MKShow to subscribe and get three months free. Offer details apply. The News Nation Republican primary debate. See you on the debate stage. To find News Nation on your TV, go to joinnn.com. Spectrum Business works with small businesses nationwide, so we know that running your own business means doing it all. Marketing, sales, inventory, customer service, and more. Spectrum One for Business helps you keep it all connected for just $49.99 a month. Get fast, reliable internet, advanced Wi-Fi with security shield, and a free mobile line for one low price. Stay connected and do it all with Spectrum One for Business. Only $49.99 a month. Go to spectrum.com business to learn more. Restrictions apply. Services not available in all areas. Not everything in life is flexible, but at Capella University, your education can be. With our game-changing FlexPath learning format, you're empowered to fit education into your life without putting other priorities on hold. FlexPath lets you set your own deadlines and adjust them when needed. You can take courses at your own speed and move on to the next one when you're ready. Imagine how a flexible education can make a difference in your life at capella.edu. We've discussed a lot of heavy topics today, and it's understandable. The world is a heavy place at the moment, but sometimes you just need a good laugh. That's how we're going to end this week with someone whose job it is to make us laugh, and he does his job so well. I have been looking forward to speaking with him. Joining me now, author of the new children's book, Chomp, 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 the Snap Fest Challenge, J.P. Sears, a comedian and very popular YouTuber. J.P., my personal thanks to you. I speak on behalf of my sister-in-law and myself when I say you got us through COVID. Your posts over all that ins insanity, which you were very early to see, and wokeism, all of it, were brilliant and so funny. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. Oh, well, thank you, Megan. That warms my heart. And it's uh, very good for my narcissism. Just makes me feel more significant about myself. It's a condition, so I require it. But uh, Megan, thank you so much. I mean, you're a living legend. So I'm honored to hear that. And also super stoked to be here talking with you today. Oh, gosh. If you don't mind, I want to give the audience a flavor just for those who haven't seen your stuff, because they're going to fall in love with you as soon as they do. And then they're going to buy your book, Chomp, Chomp, Chomp. Um, here's just one. You've been active on the trans stuff. Uh, and calling attention to the absurdity of these guys swimming in the girls' swimming lanes and so on. And here is a sample of that in SOT 45. I've been dreaming of becoming the top female swimmer for one year. I first learned how to swim when I was seven years old at Boy Scout camp. What might surprise you is 
I was actually a really slow swimmer at first and stayed a really slow swimmer through the first couple years of my collegiate career. Then I turned 23 and all of a sudden, I'm the best swimmer in the women's division because I'm just a late bloomer. <laughs> because swimming's been such a big part of my life for so long, it's where my happiness comes from. You can't have happiness without penis. I guess I must have drank a lot of water on that lap. Yeah, some of the other ladies don't feel comfortable being in the same locker room as me. Is this because I identify as black? These racist women around here. Or maybe they're just intimidated by my sensual femininity. I mean, you know how girls can be. Jealous. Now that I'm the top female swimmer, what's next for me? Well, I don't feel like I'm 22 anymore, so. I think children's sports is next. Probably <laughs> peewee football. I'm actually 10 years old now. <laughs> That's amazing. That's a, and prescient. That's prescient. We just talked about there's a guy in Canada, 50 years old. He decided to swim against 12 and 13 year old girls and they let him. That man, I, I, I think the only problem with uh, kids sports, but women's sports, I think we need to completely ban women from women's sports because these <laughs> women are taking opportunities from men who want to compete as women. And I, I just think it's a crime that we still let any women complete. And then obviously children and children's sports like that. It's pretty hateful if you ask me, get those kids out of there. Better yet, let the kids in there and let the 50-year-olds just pummel the crap out of them. Right, right. Who do they think they are anyway, taking up all those lanes with all those little limbs? <laughs> okay, so let's get a little bit of background on you, JP, because I know you live in Texas now, but you were living in the People's Republic of California for a while. Yeah, I escaped communism back in 2014. I, I kind of saw it coming, so... It's been almost 10 years since I lived in California, but yeah, I, I was there for a 10 year period and, you know, I, I love California. I don't think there's anywhere more beautiful than California. Obviously the way it's governed has uh, become a little bit of a travesty. And uh, when I was there, I certainly, without knowing it, I was infected by a certain degree of liberal propaganda and I didn't really realize it until beginning of COVID when I start to realize, well, this whole pandemic is not about a virus. And then I really started waking up and realizing like, oh, yeah, like I'm, I'm kind of infected with some mind virus here. So I, uh, I've been doing, Calif yeah, been doing a California mental detox cleanse for a few years now. We've got a little bit of that, too, as JP works it out. Uh, he did a little video on what it's like living in California in Stop 46. Seeing tent cities all over the place, it's basically camping. People enjoying the wilderness. It's good for you. I think we need more of it. And the fact that we allow them to take over our sidewalks, parks, and other public places so the taxpaying public can't use those public places makes us as loving and accepting as a spineless doormat. I, for one, don't want to raise my kids in a place where they don't have to walk across human feces and needles just to get to their front door. How else would they learn about hepatitis C? So, so now you, you have a child, and this is personal to you. I mean, what's happening out there, the conditions, the wokeism, the COVID lockdowns, you, you know, you're experiencing it firsthand. Yeah, my little boy next month, he turns three. And man, I, I 
I was concerned about the world and concerned about the future for children before becoming a father. But since becoming a father, it just magnifies it by a hundredfold. And, you know, whether we like it or not, as parents, we need to realize right now we are authoring what our children's future is going to look like. You know, we're authoring what the landscape is going to look like. Of course, they'll choose how they navigate it. But we, I, I don't need to tell you, Megan, we have a lot of um, uphill battle and I think we've got good momentum, but there's just so much in the way of degenerate forces out there going after children, not only like trying to degenerate the world that they will inherit, but they're trying to degenerate the children's minds with all these dangerous ideologies disguised as, you know, virtuous, good moral things. But it's just like, I think as parents, we need to really recognize the devil masquerades as an angel in disguise. And we need to see through the disguise, see the devil, call it out and make sure we protect our kids from what's going on in the world and make sure that, we leave nothing, you know, we, we need to leave it all on the playing field, doing our best to save our country and save our world for our children because mm. they deserve it. This is why I love talking to comedians because they, uh, almost to a person, you find out they're incredibly smart. They're very insightful onto our, into our politics, into our culture. And that's what drives your creativity. You know, I mean, I might be insightful in my own way and that, and then I work it out here at this desk. You guys are so insightful and you work it out on the stage or in front of the camera and you post it on YouTube. And that's why it resonates when people like you really nail it. And then you can translate it in a special way that actually then makes us laugh too. It's such a gift, JP. So tell us a little bit about your background. Like, how did you get this gift? Were you always funny, clever? Like, tell us about yourself. Well, again, I'm narcissistic enough. I would say I was, I've always been funny and clever and insightful. But no, you know, I've been a call it a professional comedian for about 10 years now. Before that, I, I was into health coaching, personal training. I loved it, but I never let my sense of humor out in any kind of public way. Yeah, my sense of humor ever since I was a child was always pretty strong, developed. I love making people laugh around me. It's the way I bring joy to the world around me, bring joy to my life. And then about 10 years ago, I just you know, I, I just had what I thought was a stupid idea for sharing a perspective through the language of comedy in a video form. Problem is, I, I didn't know how to make comedy videos, but I kept like I needed to scratch the itch. So I made what I thought was going to be one comedy video, put it online, and it, it actually woke up something inside of me. There was this creative satisfaction and looking a little deeper, you know, in hindsight, I can see like, oh, I think that was me getting more courageous towards living the plan that God has for me because I had my idea of what I was supposed to be doing and of course had my insecurities that I didn't want to touch. But I think I began to kind of really wake up for at least one of the callings that God has for me as I made this comedy video and then that woke something up inside of me. And then I made a few others after about a year of, making videos once in a while, I realized, oh, I'm like, there's actually something here. Never had a plan where I was going, still don't, but I've just been doing my best to you know, follow my heart and go one step at a time and now feel absolutely blessed to be able to earn a living for my family 
making people laugh, but more importantly, hopefully making people think a little bit deeper. For those listening, uh, JP is wearing a t-shirt that reads my politics colon pro God, pro God. Good for you for saying it out loud. And you know what? I should also point out one of the other times I saw you publicly was I wasn't there, but uh, I, they gave me an offer to participate. I, I don't generally participate in these things, but I was rooting you on at the um, the vaccine rally with RFKJ, right? Back when people were first finding the nerve to say, this is bullshit. We're not going to keep sticking these needles in our arms and you shouldn't be firing people who don't want to do it. So you've, you know, you lean into the activism where you really felt it and chomp, chomp, chomp. This is like, I mean, I, I sorry to pivot from vaccines to chomp, 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 but it's about peer pressure. It's something you're worried about for your child and mine. So for the parents out there who want to buy this, what should they expect? Yeah, you know, the, the one is an entertaining, engaging children's story. It gets their attention, beautiful illustrations. But the underlying message, it's its the one message that if I could only share one message with my son and his father, as his father, it would be, dear son, do your own thinking, be in touch with your heart, and have the courage to follow it. That's the message embedded in this book. And peer pressure, it seems like, well, yeah, we've we've known about that, of course, like peer pressure, but we're living in peer pressure 2.0. And we've seen the past three years, uh, almost four years of how many adults in our world didn't get the message about choosing courage over cowardice when it comes to peer pressure, when it comes to being true to themselves versus falling in line with peer pressure. And in the adult world, we've seen that, and we call that obedience and compliance. And I don't think anybody, there's no human that's going to have a happy, meaningful life filled with purpose when they just obey, when they just right. become a slave to peer pressure. But of course, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So it's a lot of work to unwind that obedient programming in adults. But children have such young, beautiful, innocent, impressionable minds that if we can get the, the positive message to them in the early stages of their life, it's much easier to take hold. And by the way, most kids out there, I remember when I was a kid, there is nothing that felt better than being courageous. It takes no courage to succumb to peer pressure, but it takes a lot of courage to be true to yourself and be, be true to God, be true to what you know is right or wrong. So uh, I'm just passionate about getting the message out there because it's the message I want to give to my son and I wanted to make it available to families all around the country as well. Same. You're you're a good dad. And I think I know one of the message messages that you're working on with your son is how not to become toxically masculine. Like far too many American men have become just just turn tune into MSNBC to find out. Or you can just watch this JP Sears video to see him talk about the issue. Listen here. The great thinkers in our world today who are women with daddy issues and men with mommy issues tell us that the traditional traits of masculinity are toxic and therefore we must redefine masculinity. Strength equals weak masculinity. Long gone are the days when physical strength is part of healthy masculinity. Society tells us that the only reason why men would have the desire to get stronger is so that they can punch harder in their domestic violence endeavors. Couple that with the newfound science that informs us that working out is far-right extremism, and you'll realize that having healthy masculinity means 
You look at opportunities to get stronger and you just say no. No! Amazing feminine queen goddess, could you carry this water jug for me? <laughs> yes. Thank you. Thank you for your advocacy. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. It's a joy. And Megan, thank you for being so kind and thank you for having me on. Uh, all right. So wait, you got to tell people where to find the videos because they're all going to want to subscribe now. Yes. Uh, if you want to check out the book, you can go to bravebooks.com and all my videos, they're hubbed on my website, links to all the channels at awakenwithjp.com. Awakenwithjp.com. I trust me, you will be so glad you spent some time over there, but just leave some time in your day because it's not going to be a five minute visit. JP, all the best. Please come back when we have more time. Today was full of chalk, you know, hard news, but I would love to talk to you for a longer time. Oh, it'd be a joy. I'm happy to come back anytime. Awesome. All the best to you. Okay. And thanks to all of you for listening uh, today and every day. We're really grateful. And um, don't forget to tune in on Monday because the EJs will be here. Emily Jashinsky and Eliana Johnson. And you know, Eliana and I are co-moderating this debate on News Nation on 12-6, along with Elizabeth Vargas, who works at News Nation now. So maybe you'll get some like debate tips. Maybe you'll get some insider's info into what we're about to do. Don't miss it and have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to The Megan Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear. Spectrum Business works with small businesses nationwide, so we know that running your own business means doing it all. Marketing, sales, inventory, customer service, and more. Spectrum One for Business helps you keep it all connected for just $49.99 a month. Get fast, reliable internet, advanced Wi-Fi with security shield, and a free mobile line for one low price. Stay connected and do it all with Spectrum One for Business. Only $49.99 a month. Go to spectrum.com business to learn more. Restrictions apply. Services not available in all areas. Hey there, I'm Brad. I'm about to win the Tuesday Night Bowling League Championship. I'm also a highway worker for the Ohio Department of Transportation. When you move over and slow down, you're making sure I can bowl the winning strike with my buddies. Remember, they're not just roadside workers. Thank you for moving over and slowing down. 